welcome to the very first episode of Stutterology. I am your host, Jamie, and I have so much to share. I'm so excited. Uh, first, let's start with some of the basics. Um, let me tell you a little bit about myself and why I am doing this. I'll talk a little bit about what a stutter is, what are some of the things we're going to be talking about on this podcast. I'm going to go over terms. I'm going to try to make this first episode a little shorter, uh, which can be challenging for me as I'm somebody who also has ADHD. And so I have tons of things that I want to share with you. Uh, but we will get there. So stay tuned. One of the things I do want to mention right up front is that I am not a speech-language pathologist, although I do know a lot of speech-language pathologists, and I obviously have a personal investment into stuttering, given that I've done it for the last 25 years. So a little bit about me. My name is Jamie. I am from San Diego, California. I now live in Portland, Oregon, and I am 31 years old. I started stuttering around the age of six years old, and I went to a private K through eight. And so I did do speech therapy, and I'd actually already been in speech therapy because I couldn't pronounce my R's. <laughs> um, and I had to go through, like, the school district outside of my school, and yet I had the same 30 kids in my class from kindergarten to eighth grade. So the same people who were with me when I started to when I could not pronounce my R's, were with me up through uh, my until my teenage years. So after that, I went to a public high school, and it was a humongous high school. It had uh, 3,600 people, I think, in those four grades, and I had come from a school of about 300 from kindergarten to eighth grade. So this was a pretty big change. One of those changes, of course, is that there was a speech-language pathologist at the school, and I saw her, I believe, once a month, did not have the best experience. We'll go over that later when I talk more about speech pathology and uh, speech therapy. And then I graduated. I was still stuttering. Uh, My friends knew that I stuttered. It was really impacting my life. Another thing I'll go into later. So lots of, (laughs) lots of little teases I'm dangling here while I'm giving you my backstory. And I went to a uh, private university in Southern California and I let my stutter really be a defining aspect. I wasn't really talking to anybody in my life about it, but I was aware of it. The people around me knew every now and then it would come up in conversation. But for the most part, this was a burden that I felt I carried alone. As much as my mom had tried to help, it was still here. Uh, But I was still hoping that one day I would just wake up and it would be gone, which is kind of funny to think from the age of like, I probably started having this mindset in like middle school when my stutter actually was a little bit more of something other people noticed as well, something that started to feel like it was impacting my life. And um, now, you know, and now I'm what, like 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. So it's been a very long time. And yet I'm still hoping, I still have this thought that, that the goal The goal is fluency, right? I can be successful if I'm fluent. 
It was not until uh, 2013, I believe, my friend who was going to my rival college, uh, Biola, a different Christian university. I was at Azusa Pacific. Um, and she texted me because she had seen flyers around campus or had her friend had seen flyers around campus and knew this guy named Morgan Lott. And he was doing his senior project. He was the same, about the same age as me, doing his senior project about his stutter and his kind of uh, Hail Mary attempt at speech therapy. One last time to hope kind of with the same goal as me, right? This, it's going to be gone. I can be successful if it's gone. Anyway, long story short, that was a pivotal moment in my life when I began to think maybe my stutter is not going to go away and what am I going to do with it? So after I graduated, I got, I started slowly. I was terrified, but I slowly got involved with the national stuttering association i got a full-time job and my life i feel like started to begin then i continued to stutter although uh, maybe not as severely as i once did but i'm going to talk about why i think that is and why i don't think that part really made an impact on anything else um We'll get into that. And now here I am. I am 31. I moved to Portland on my own about a year and a half ago. And I, I never thought I could do a lot of the things that I'm doing now. I do presentations at work. I've, I'm very confident in a lot of areas of my life, especially regarding my communication abilities, which has led me to want to create a podcast. So one of the reasons I'm doing this is there's a lot of resources out there about stuttering, right? A lot more than my mom had in the 90s. And yet there's so much information. It's a little overwhelming for one, kind of hard to know where to look. But also there's not a lot aimed at parents that is by a person who stutters with the goal of kind of meeting parents where they're at. Um, and my mom does not stutter. She raised me on her own. So a little bit about that. I was raised by my mom and uh, she had me and my younger brother, Greg, by about, he's about two years younger than me. And I started stuttering at age six and my mom panicked. She had no idea what was going on. She didn't really know anything at all about stuttering. This was 1997. So uh, she didn't have a computer, I don't think, at the time. Maybe she, I don't know. But, you know, she's trying to reach out to these things. And she is getting information quite a lot, actually. I'll get more into that later. Um, but... You know, she's got this child, her oldest child, who is stuttering and this very confident young person. And now people are starting to react to the way that she's speaking. And so mom's kind of scared and obviously and looking into things. And everyone's telling her things like go to speech therapy to make it go away, learn techniques to hide it. And one day it's just going to go away. There's a you know 75 or 66 percent chance. I forget the exact number but most childhood stutters do resolve themselves right so that's the mindset my mom had and she was she was given so much information when I was going through my old IEP stuff I found things about the National Stuttering Association but she didn't know really what to do and we were very low income my mom was raising us on her own uh My grandparents were helping pay for private school, but not really. Like, it was mostly my mom on her own doing her thing. 
And she was asking everybody in the family, including reaching out to my dad and also her mom, like, do we have any family history of stuttering? Everyone told her no. I'll get more into that later because that's a funny full circle story there. I mean, not funny for my mom, but <laughs> but she went everywhere and, and nobody was giving her. There's just not there's just not a lot of understanding about stuttering out there to begin with. And in the 90s, again, did not have the same resources. But now we have an Internet. Well, all, all you have to do is type what is stuttering and you get thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands, if not millions of websites and information. And they're saying different things and they're giving these ideas. And there's there's all these ideas of cures and and speech easy devices and et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is one thing. There is no cure. Okay. If this is hard for you to hear, maybe pause. But I'm telling you this as a statement of fact. This is not my opinion. Anyone who tells you that there's a cure, anyone who says they can make your or your child stutter or your loved one stutter go away forever is lying to you. And they're probably about to offer you something that is, if it doesn't cost money now, it will. So I want you to know that. And I want you to know that that's okay. This is the reason I'm making this podcast. Nobody needs to be fluent in order to be successful, in order to clearly communicate, in order to take care of yourself, have a full-time job, any of that, okay? Also, moms, dads, parents, guardians, it is not your fault, Okay, they're not totally sure what causes stuttering. They do think it's something in the brain. Um, it seems very likely to be very connected to neurodivergency. So children with ADHD are significantly more likely to stutter. And that's just people who are diagnosed. Um There's been information out there in the past, you know, there's a very old, outdated belief that still circulates that says trauma caused it. And maybe you saw something like this. So my mom saw me as this child who talked all the freaking time, couldn't pronounce their R's, but talked plenty, and uh, went to school one day, and the teacher called me out, put me on the spot, embarrassed me in front of the entire class. Thank you, first grade teacher, for that. That was really cool. And she did that, too. Lots of kids. It was not just me, which is even worse, maybe. I don't know. It, anyway, <laughs> um, and then I started stuttering in that moment. This was a traumatic thing that happened to me as a kid. And yet I'm telling you and there there it's proven that stuttering is not caused by trauma. So then why do traumatic events pull stuttering out? They're looking into that. But the idea is that it's already in you to begin with. Just sometimes there's something that pulls it out. Some kids start to stutter for no reason at all. Some people, when they're older, they hit their head. They get a head injury. They start to stutter. But no matter what, I want you to know that it's not your fault. Okay? That's really, really important for parents to understand. And that the goal for your child does not need to be never to stutter ever again. 
So that's the point of this podcast. The point of this podcast is to reframe what the goals around children who stutter can be. I'm not telling you how to parent. I'm not telling you what things should be, what these should not be. But I am going to give you another option that maybe you have not heard speech therapists say. If you're lucky, you have had this. You've had a speech therapist who who talks about the acceptance ma 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 model, and that's freaking fantastic. I still think hopefully I have some insights to share with you as well. But you're already on a path of learning about this option. If you're not, if this is the first time you've ever had anyone talk about a stutter without talking about it as this flaw to try to cure, I am so excited that you're listening to this,、um, and I'm, I have so much to tell you, and this is really, really, really good news for your kid. And maybe, maybe that's hard to see right now. Maybe your kid is in a, a rough place right now, or your loved one, or your friend, or you. Uh, but I can tell you that this model, this idea of acceptance-based therapy with speech and not needing fluency, lack of repetitions to be a thing, is is a game changer, at least for me. <laughs> Now, pause. That was a lot. I get really excited. I'm gonna give you a second. We're gonna switch gears. <laughs> Now I'm gonna do a little housekeeping. So if you if you, you need to pause after that, I understand that was a pretty emotional little spiel there. I get really excited, and I hope that energy is infectious in the long run. But it can be a little overwhelming at first. But I do want to do some housekeeping before we get into anything. Number one is what is a stutter? You've probably already researched this, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to a podcast called Stutterology. However, I'm just going to give you a little bit about what some of the websites maybe will say, not say. So, according to places like Stuttering Foundation, National Stuttering Association, most speech language pathologists. A, stu- a, stu- a, st- a stutter is essentially that. <laughs> What I just did is dis- is it's disfluent speech, but it can look a few different ways. The most common one, the one we hear about the most, the one we see about the most, the one that fluent people do the most, is the repetitions that you just heard. That's going to be the stutter right there. It's going to be those those usually first part of a. Word not always, but typically, typically people have certain sounds that they stutter more with. Could be a variety of different reasons for that. It's not always true, and it's what we see in the media the most. It's what people see in cartoons. What Porky the Pig does, right? Good and bad representations, mostly bad. We will get into that.、Um, that's the most common. One of the other ones we see a lot is blocks. Blocks are very misunderstood because <laughs> people don't don't think about that when they think of stuttering. But a block is extremely common, and most people do a little bit of both. Some people will mostly just block. This is still considered stuttering. This is still disfluent speech. This does not mean there is something broken with somebody's mouth. Okay. One of the things this happens a lot in for me is my blocks are typically about half a second to two seconds long. Occasionally, not longer, although a lot of people's are. Mine's usually pretty short. And you would think 
Who's going to notice that in speech? The answer is everybody. <laughs> we don't even know we're doing it. We're not even aware. But when there is a pause at all, we read into it, and that's usually a good thing. That's how we understand each each other. The problem is with a stutter. There's no reason in the conversation for it. It just kind of happens. So when I say hello, my name is Jamie. I have had, and many people who stutter have had people ask. Oh, <laughs> did you forget your name? Because why else would you pause briefly before sharing your name unless you had to think about it? Um, <laughs> because you blocked. So that one's a very um, uh, misunderstood one that I can't wait to talk more about as well. <laughs> Another option is prolongations. So this is both a speech therapy technique, but it can also be a way that stuttering manifests. This is going to sound kind of like that. So it's going to be the prolongation of a particular sound. Um, not that the person does a particular sound every time, but like in their word, one sound is going to be prolonged. So those are the types of stuttering. I've already talked about causes, cures, no known cause. There is a genetic component, but they really don't know much about it yet. There's been a large research trying to figure this out. No cure. There's things that help. There's things that、um, a lot of techniques.、Uh, therapists, a lot of times, speech language pathologists will have what maybe is called a toolbox. Of some different options, not everybody who stutter wants to pull from the toolbox. As you can tell, I'm stuttering pretty openly,、um, and we're going to get again more into that. <laughs> and then the other second part I wanted to come over, number two, was some of the terms I'm going to be using in this podcast. So we've already gone over stuttering. I've been talking a lot about speech language pathologists. Another acronym, a common, the, the common acronym is. SLPs. So I'm going to be using SLPs a lot, and that just stands for speech language pathologist. These are people who have graduate degrees、um, in speech pathology. Kind of a fun fact about that is that there is no actual requirement that somebody, in, unless the school decides it. There used to be like a, a national, I think, requirement, maybe state in California. I'm not sure, and they removed this requirement where you would have had to talk. As a graduate student, to people with different、um, issues, re, not issues, I shouldn't say, reasons to go to speech therapy, right? So fluency being one of them. There's other reasons people go to speech therapy. However, it is no longer required that you get a variety. So somebody can go their entire time through grad school studying. Speech language pathology, maybe have one course on fluency if they're lucky. And a little chapter on stuttering. Now, this is not true for everyone. There's a lot of SLPs who know a lot about stuttering, and they're awesome. And I plan to have some of them on this podcast. However, it's not a requirement, and that's dangerous. And we're going to talk about why. Because I keep saying that, so hopefully you're really excited. Another term I'm going to use is PWS, stands for People Who Stutter. This is just the person-first language around stutterers. So,、um, if you know anything about like disability communities, disability rights, or really anything in this in other worlds too, 
we tend to use a lot of we tend to use a lot of person first language. So instead of saying a stutterer, we're going to say a person who stutters because I'm a person first and my stutter is secondary. And speaking of the word secondary, that's my last term for you guys today and then I'm going to give you a pause, I'm going to give you a break. Um but a secondary is going to be exactly i guess what it sounds like a secondary thing so a stutter is about your speech it's about the disfluencies it's about the repetitions blocks prolongations a secondary is all of the stuff that comes with that so maybe lack of eye contact would be considered a secondary oftentimes a secondary is something that somebody who stutters has done to try to kind of push through their stutter and it like kind of happened to coincide or maybe work once or twice and then it just kind of picks up. So these are also things like touching your face while you're talking, while you're stuttering, maybe covering your mouth even. Obviously, that makes uh things significantly harder to communicate. This could be rocking back and forth, this could be shaking a leg. There's also stims, which is people needing to kind of get their their stimulation out but uh there's it's also it's very connected there's a lot of overlap with secondary and stims but secondaries are going to be all of these little extra things maybe talking in a slightly different voice um we'll talk more about it you'll probably hear and see maybe not see but hear some of it on this podcast um yeah and then one of the other things i also wanted to mention There's a difference between the techniques that a speech language pathologist has and the techniques that a person who stutters may or may not pick up. So, we're going to be talking about both pretty often. So, I just want you to be aware that some things like prolongation and I have to go look up the other things, I'm not sure, will be speech language pathologist toolbox. These are things that you either learned in grad school or learned on the field or from their employer about how to decrease the negative communication impacts or potential negative communication impacts of stuttering. There's also a toolbox around avoidance techniques, which is going to be when somebody who stutters starts to avoid speaking or at the very least avoid stuttering. This does not actually help, especially not in the long run, but even in the moment And we're going to talk about why. Avoidance techniques are important for any speech language pathologist to have. You should always ask if your SLP knows anything about avoidance techniques. This is going to look like asking you or your child or loved one to call cold call. <laughs> Maybe while they're in the room with you and make, you know, cancel your gym membership or something. Because normally I would do literally anything to avoid this. I will pay for a year of the gym sooner than I would want to call. I mean, I've I've worked on that and it's I have found other ways to cancel gym memberships as well. But that that's the idea, right? You're avoiding situations, you're avoiding maybe your name, certain words. Um and I have a lot to say about that. Very exciting. But that is also something that speech pathologists can and honestly should know a lot about. Now, the other flip side of this are techniques that people who stutter kind of all accidentally do. It's kind of it's kind of fu- fu- 
funny because you don't even know really one that you're doing it or two where you even learned how to do this and then you talk to other people who stutter and like we're all doing it right so word swapping is a big one i am talking about something and la 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 and then i'm going to get to a word and my brain automatically already knows this is a stutter word or my brain goes danger and i just swap the word out in conversation nobody's the wiser nobody else knows that i just changed the word so instead of i used to do this a lot with the word funny if you can see why <laughs> and so i would a lot of times say oh that's so interesting oh that's so interesting and it was so habitual i didn't even know i was doing it actually i when i started to accept my stutter and try to do less avoiding i would catch myself after the fact so i would say oh that's interesting and then i would pause and say actually no well yes but it's funny and i would get through the word and the other person would be i have absolutely no idea why they just had to change the word from interesting to funny but here they are also that was kind of funny that i didn't stutter on it when i was speaking as somebody else but neither here or there either way um those are the types of things you know like word swapping another big one is like the sounds clinical and there's clinical versions of this and i'm not using the right phrase i'm going to call it breath work <laughs> that's not right breath work's a real thing and it, people say it's helpful blah 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 probably i don't know i don't do it what i do though is i unintentionally change my breathing pattern in a sentence because for some reason um the way you like go into a stutter can impact how it's going to sound It's also why a lot of people will do ums and uhs uh not because really it's even a speech thing but just not yet ready kind of need to get themselves to fall into the word as opposed to just saying the word on its own. This maybe sounds really confusing and that's okay. You don't need to be an expert of it. Just know that there's little things that your kid or your loved one or you are doing that you did not learn in speech therapy that you have learned um just in conversation and um a lot of times we'll say people who stutter people will say that people who stutter have higher IQs I'm a little biased on what I think about IQ tests and the uh systemic privilege in that but the point is a lot of times people who stutter will have a very large vocabulary. I'm not really one of them, but a lot of my friends are. And if you've read books by people who stutter, you're like, I don't know what any of this means. Uh because they don't even know because it's so commonplace. They're they're swapping in words. So you need more word options. The more word options you have, the better word swapper you can be. Although, as we'll talk about later, this can affect communication more than a stutter itself would. Okay. How are you feeling? I hope that wasn't too much for you. I have briefly touched <laughs> a lot of the little things we're going to get into, my backstory, what stuttering is, some of the terms around stuttering, if there's a cause, nothing known for sure, if there's a cure, there's not, and what my goals are with this podcast. Um 
I just I'm really hoping I'm offering you something that can improve the quality of life. Um, this stuff that I'm going to be talking about, it doesn't even need to just be applied to stuttering. So maybe you don't stutter. But maybe you're going to be listening to this and thinking, wow, um, this can apply to something else in my life. A lot of the things that I, I feel towards stuttering, I first felt about my body image growing up female in this society especially in southern california means i had a lot of thoughts on my body that were not great and were not helpful and as i learned little things slowly to start to accept that the best part of my body is that it's mine And it lets me feel things in this world. It lets me touch things. It lets me smell, etc. Let's me walk it for, for me. Um, these things that my body permits me to do is the beauty. And I was able to take some of that and apply it probably more efficiently <laughs> to stuttering. Um, my stutter is fantastic And I'm going to talk about why, because it's actually pretty cool. The things that I have learned that my stutter taught me that my stutter has um, opened doors for. You know, we think of stuttering as a hindrance, as a problem, as something that is ruining my entire existence. Yes, I thought that um, for a very long time. And in hindsight, I didn't have to think that I did. And I accept that about myself. I accept that that's my journey. And I'm hoping that this podcast saves people from having to do that as long or as long as they could. Not necessarily, you know, maybe you're older than me and you're listening to this and you've been thinking away about it for a long time. Um, better now than never. Better now than five years from now and better now than tomorrow. So... On that note, I'm really, 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 really excited for everything I have to share. And if you have any questions for me, if there's anything you want to hear me talk about, anything that you're confused by, anything I say that maybe doesn't make sense, or maybe I stuttered and you couldn't make sense of it, <laughs> I'm going to try to do a transcription for this um, And put it out there as well, because I personally don't really like listening to podcasts. I prefer written word. So I'm going to try to do things like that um, as well. But if there's anything you need, you can follow me on Instagram. My handle is stutterology um, or it's stutterology 101. I don't remember. But either way, you'll you'll find me. It's got like a little blue mic icon thing. Um, and I'm really super, super stoked. So I will talk to you guys soon. Thanks.